Hello and thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the much-missed already Bernard Cribbins. And I mean, how do you even begin a tribute to Bernard Cribbins? I mean, for us all, he was the voice of our childhoods, someone that made you feel happy just by seeing him on the screen. And he was a storyteller like no other. A man for whom really national treasure doesn't even seem quite enough, really. And we were lucky enough to get him in three different versions of Doctor Who, which we'll be talking about in a bit. We had him on film, on audio, and we definitely had him on TV. And so, Bernard Cribbins. We're going to do our best to, to celebrate his life and, some, and his career, and obviously his appearances in Doctor Who. Um, so I'm Sai, and I'm joined tonight by my two partners in crime. I'm Denise. And I'm Fraser. So, I mean, where do we begin? I mean, this is a man who had a career in music, in film, on TV, on stage. He did the whole lot, didn't he? Well, you're completely right, Simon, in what you said, saying that National Treasure doesn't quite cover it, because... Yeah, yeah. He he was a lot more to us, I think, than that. I mean, he had always been there. And obviously we know that we can't keep people forever. But, uh, yeah, he, he was a legend, an absolute legend. And he he's seemed one, like a really, really lovable man. Absolutely. He's, he's one of these, these people that's like a comfort blanket, isn't he? He's... Um, He's just there doing everything. He's sort of like the last of this old school of entertainers that like, you know, that you get like with Bruce Forsyth, you know, that aren't just actors, aren't just singers, mm-hmm. aren't just dancers. They do everything. They entertain. They're not just pegged down to one particular thing. You know, you look at his his resume, you know, he's done like Sai says, he's done everything. Theatre, comedy, drama. Everything, it's just, you know, yeah, he was absolutely. there. Absolutely, like um, Roy Castle, of course, yeah. who was in the other Dalek film, an absolute multi-threader. I think he had the world record for being able to play the most different kinds of musical instruments, didn't he? But, yeah, these people from the variety tradition. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really love Fraser's description there of like he was a living comfort blanket. That's mm. absolutely perfect because as soon as you saw him, you just felt happy. I remember when um, we got the first photos of him when he was um, going to be appearing in Voyage of the Damned and there's just the pictures of him looking a bit Bernard Cribbinsy, if you know what I mean, where mm. he's not not quite smiling but not not quite not smiling in his woolly hat and you just think, yeah, this is right. Why haven't we had him in Doctor Who? And then you stop and think, well, actually, no, we have had him in Doctor Who. Of course we have. And you forget that he was in Dalek's Invasion of 2150 AD. And he was in The Big Finish Adventure, The Horror of Glam Rock, that was on BBC4 Extra um, back in the day. And he'd done all these things. And that was just a tiny, tiny part of his career. And we thought we got him. We were lucky just to get him for a cameo in a story with Kylie Minogue. And there are the stories in in this month's DWM from from Russell T Davis, where he's saying, "Oh," said, 
And for once, Kylie took a back seat because everyone was utterly charmed by Bernard Cribbins' stories. And how could you not be? Yeah. We got him for one cameo, and then due to the sad circumstances at the start of filming Series 4, when Harold Atfield sadly died, we got him again. How wonderful. Just, Just seeing him on the screen was like a present. It really was. Um, I never was lucky enough to meet him. Did either of you guys meet him? Sadly not, no. Um, I've not met a great many um, cast or crew from, from Doctor Who over the years. Um, no. But, you. but um, No, I our... never did either. I, and that feels like a bit of a... a a shame now, because <laughs> again, like Denise said at the start, you—he's the kind of man that you think is going to always be there, and there'll always be a chance to do these things. And um, then it sometimes it just comes around, and you've missed your chance. Yeah. Well, English Jason, one of our Trap One colleagues, did actually meet him twice, and he's written a little something which I'll read out as he wasn't able to make this podcast, and he says. I was lucky enough to meet him twice in his lifetime, once in 2013 at Collectomania in Milton Keynes and once at London Comic Con in 2017. Both occasions he was an absolute delight, but it's the second meeting that sticks in my mind. I was with a friend who wanted to meet Wilf, and let's just say she is quite ample in the chest area. It was first thing in the morning, so we were virtually first in the queue, Bernard was a delight as always, and he handed my friend her autograph. She asked if she could have a selfie. This was well before comms started charging for photos at signing desks. Bernard, quick as a flash, took a microsecond glimpse at my friend's cleavage and in true carry-on style said, you can have anything you like, darling, with a cheeky wink. (laughs) And he says, that made our day. My friend couldn't shut up about how great it was that Bernard had flirted with her. Bernard Cribbins, a few true legend, rest in peace. Lucky Jason, what a brilliant memory. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got a little anecdote from from my friend Robert Dick, who um, interviewed him on stage once at a convention, and he said, um, "I just remembered that when I interviewed Bernard Cribbins, he spotted my A4 sheet of notes and asked what it was. My safety net," I said, and without pausing for breath, he hit me with. That'll never hold you. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone who's met him seems to have these little stories, just these flashes of brilliance and, mm. and humour from him. Well, I was watching, you know, I went on YouTube last night, um, you know, in preparation, knowing that I'm going to talk about Bernard Cribbins. And I think just to sidetrack a little bit, you know, we are a Doctor Who podcast. And we're talking about Bernard Cribbins in Doctor Who. We could do two or three other podcasts, not even discuss Doctor Who in the slightest bit and still fill those hours and hours talking about Bernard Cribbins' career. But I went on and I watched um, Nevermind the Buzzcocks when David Tennant yes. was hosting and you had Bernard Cribbins on one team with Phil Jupiter and Joe Wiley and you had um, Noel Field and Catherine Tate and some other nondescript singer who I can't remember on the other team. And it was just a, a five-minute compilation of Bernard Cribbins' just one-liners 
just zinging straight out. You know, there's a, there's a bit where like, you know um, David Tennant's setting up the joke about Kylie Minogue's bra. Uh, someone on eBay has just bought Kylie Minogue's bra for six thousand pounds, and quick as a flash, Bernard Cribbins is. Oh, do you want to see it? so he you know you can tell that he had that really quick wit about him and also that cheekiness as well um you know we think of him as a family entertainer but he did have that sort of mischievous sort of carry on carry on side to him as well um he was in one or two carry on films wasn't he he? yes he was yeah he was back in the early days and then back for but um, everyone's favourite, Carry On Columbus. I've still never seen that. I've never got around Don't. to seeing that yeah. one. <laughs> Be thankful. I I saw it at the cinema, I, so there I, we go. I saw it at the <laughs> cinema as well and haven't seen it since. So. No. <laughs> we didn't know that. But um, speaking of the cinema, you were lucky enough to go to the BFI, weren't you, Si, and see... I was. Um, ...the two Dalek films um, scrubbed up at the 4K... Um, so how did how did Bernard Cribbins come across at the BFI? Oh, he's a I, it's it was just perfect. I mean, he's got so much charisma that his performance just comes off the screen. So he's basically the um, straight down the line companion in this one, the action hero, and he does it brilliantly, doesn't he? He's so good as Tom. Mm. He's um, and he does he goes from the bewilderment at the start to throwing himself into the adventure and him and Peter Cushing together just seem to have a real rapport and really good chemistry. And they have lots of scenes together, which is a delight to watch sort of, sort of early on. And he, yeah, he, he just fills the screen. I love, I love the scene where he's pretending to be a robo man. Oh yes. Food on the conveyor belt and all the rest of it. Um, he he mentioned, I think, that he got his role in that film because Peter Cushing had recommended him as someone who doesn't get drunk, doesn't fall over, remembers lines. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you really need, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and there's delightful stories of him and Peter Cushing going fishing together while they were sort of on the filming side because Bernard Cribbins was a big fisherman, apparently, and I think there were lots of anecdotes and stories about that in his autobiography. So it sounded like he had a really good time doing it and something that he always sort of remembered fondly. Yes, I mean, he was in, of course, the Railway Children as well, so um, very, very important to children of the 1960s. Appearing in Absolutely. movies. Absolutely, like I have that. to. I have to say, I have never actually seen the Railway Children, and this is something that I need to rectify very soon. It's, yes, <laughs> I've, I've got through forty-seven years and have not seen it, so I think think the time has come really for a Bernard Tri- Cribbins tribute evening, and that would be a good place to start for me. I feel well, they're making a sequel, aren't they, of the Railway Children, or a series, or something? The sequel has been made and is currently in the cinema. Aha, uh-huh. shows what I know. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if it's made it over to Norway yet. So. Don't think Bernard Cribbins is in that, though. No. No, I don't know. It was just Jenny Agatha, wasn't it? Yeah. I think who came across. But with childhood, that's, I think that's where most of us are going to remember Bernard Cribbins from, aren't we? I mean, 
with the maximum respect, you two are a shade older than I am, so you probably remember more um, of that sort of output, sort of like the Wombles and Jack and Ori. Mm. Um, I was I exactly the right age for the Wombles. And um, there aren't many episodes of those on YouTube, I'm afraid, but uh, the first one is on there, and some sort of thing that they attempted to do in 2020, bringing them back to encourage people to go out and pick up litter and stuff. But computer-generated, can you imagine? It's not quite right, is it? Not quite right at all. But um, no, I have to admit that I watched that first episode of The Wombles on the night of the day that he died and the bit at the start where he just says this is the home of the Wombles <laughs> that mm. just got me because I'd heard that so much through my childhood because they were repeated and repeated and repeated um, that that just just um, was just one of those warm moments but that was the bit that oh this is Bernard Cribbins and he's not here anymore and that's really sad yes I mean, he really brought his brilliant vocal talents to bear. He had a different voice for every single character. And, you know, he could be quite gruff and gravelly, but he had these really, really light tones to his voice as well, where he could really almost a childlike innocence in the voice of, I think, the character of um, Tobamori. And at the same oh, time, um... do Great Uncle Bulgaria. Unfortunately, Madame Cholet didn't feature in that episode, so I don't know how his Madame Cholet turned out. Oh, with her wonderful, delicious French accents. (laughs) (laughs) You can remember. Oh, I loved her. (laughs) She was so good, young Wombles. But that was good. And that was brilliant because it was a tour de force for him. He did the whole lot. He defined all their voices and all their characters. And... There's a lovely little interview with him that you can find on YouTube where he talks about this years later. And he said, said, I had a script. He said, but there'd be moments where they'd let me ad lib, where the where the puppets were doing something and didn't need the vocals. So so I could do sort of little little bits of ad libbing and make the characters sort of come alive and sort of do the ooh, ooh, uh, uh, bits mm. and pieces sort of in between sort of the major scenes. He said, and that's what made the show because then it, it felt sort of off the cuff and and um some brilliant and warm Absolutely. yes it was very natural wasn't it yeah um there might not be much wombles but there is quite a bit of jack nori on um on youtube so i i sat well, and watched yes. um the hobbit the first part of the hobbit oh, last night yes um and Bilbo baggins he just he brings and him that is a dancing off the page. Brilliant story to have read to you. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that was that was the one that was read by five different readers or yes. something, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. I think. Yeah, and, and he he does Bilbo Baggins in that, and like I say, you know, you just you're obviously watching watching them, you know, straight to camera reading the story to you but you could just close your eyes and just you would be there you would just that is Bilbo sorry Ian Holm I'm sorry Martin Freeman but <laughs> that is mm. Bilbo Baggins bang on mm-hmm. bang on the money um, but yeah just such a good storyteller wasn't he he just knew how to hit everything knew you know how to read read out loud which 
mm-hmm. you know, isn't isn't an easy. It's easy more job, difficult it? than people think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, he did more episodes of Jack and Ori than anyone else. He mm. did 112 episodes altogether, and his nearest rival was Kenneth Williams, who did 69. Oh, so another, he was just there from the legend. start to the end. Yeah, and again. That I think that's one of the things that cemented him as a storyteller for for several generations of children because he he was there all the way through and it didn't matter as he got older the more the older he got the lovelier he got. <laughs> so um, Fraser, I think your kids have watched Old Jack's Boat. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was that was just such a wonderful thing to happen. Um, you know, to come off the back of his success in that run on Doctor Who, um, where, you know, he starts off in Voyage of the Damned and then he gets another chance in season, series four, you know, by the time the end of time, it's, it's it feels like a bit of a, a renaissance in his career. It feels a bit like, you know, everyone at the end of that, you know, kind of remembered Bernard Cribbins and thought, oh, bloody hell, yes, Bernard Cribbins, fantastic. And he's still here. Yeah, <laughs> you know. What you know, I think certainly uh, Russell T Davies. By the time you get to end of time, um, you know, has realised what he's got on his hands. Um, he starts off obviously with him in Voyage of the Damned as a sort of bit part character, you know, a sort of cameo, bit of a stunt casting sort of thing. But takes the opportunity to cast him in series four as Wilf as Grand as Donna's granddad to fill that gap that we've mentioned. By the time he gets to the end of that series, he realises exactly what he's got on his hands. He knows exactly how good a star, how good a talent he's working with. And when he puts him at the end of time, my God, he works him. He gets every ounce of brilliance from him. Yes, Um, it's incredibly touching performance. You know, when the Doctor talks about dying and Wilf just says, don't you dare. I mean, that just... Or is it? No, it's David Tennant who says to Wilf, "Don't you dare!" Isn't it? And, uh... and it's it's such a Bernard Cribbins reply of, "All oh, right, okay, I won't then." <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly. And I think that that kind of carried over to how we felt about Bernard Cribbins, not just mm. Wilf. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, the, so you've mentioned the the tribute that Russell has written in this month's Doctor Who magazine, and to be honest, I was tempted just to come on and say, right, we're sacking off trap one, but I'm just going to read this out because, <laughs> you know, it's it's word perfect. Um, you know, the only thing that's stopping us doing that is because I would not be able to do it without bursting into tears. It's it's just so moving and brilliant from, from Russell there. Um, you know, and he... It's... Oh, I've lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, it's lucky we've waited a few weeks for this because um, it takes a while so. it to quite itself raw. sometimes, you know. So, yes, we were going to talk about Old Jack's Boat. Old Jack's Boat. Fraser. That's where we were going. <laughs> Old Jack's Boat, I don't think I've ever had the pleasure. So, so yeah. obviously once, you know, we got the end of time and, you know, the BBC came along with the idea of Old Jack's Boat, which essentially is just bringing back Jack and Ori. Um, but with a little bit of a, a modern twist to it. So the idea is that Bernard Cribbins plays Jack, who is um, an old 
fisherman um, in Stays. He has a few friends in the village. The episode starts off with, you know, a little bit of a um, couple of minutes of, you know, like comedy, you know, setting a scene. Jack goes to his boat with his old dog, Salty, um, reads a story direct the camera as you know sits in a chair jack and always tell you know reads a story to the kids there's you know animations to show you what's going on on screen and then the story somehow resolves the drama that's happened in the village you know it's um it's a bit like the um the doctor who spin-off that we never knew that we <laughs> wanted or needed it's like the cbb's version um of, of, of doctor who you know you've got tortured for the grown-ups doctor who for the for the family you know, Sarah Jane for the kids, but then for the toddlers, you've got old Jack's book because you've got obviously Bernard Cribbins as Jack. You've got um, Free Marjorie in there as the the mermaid who runs the cafe. Um, you know, Russell T. Davies comes along and writes some stories for it as well. And it was just such a wonderful thing to have Bernard Cribbins back doing what he does best in reading, reading stories to kids. So my my eldest son, Luca, who's 10 now, he was the perfect age when this came out, you know, to, you know, incorporate this sort of storytelling into, into the sort of CBB's routine. I'm going to um, have to check some of these out. Well, every Christmas, they show the Christmas special of Old Jack's Boat, which is written by Russell T. Davies. Now, Russell and Christmas, mm. you might think... Well, you know, he's, this is the man who killed Kylie off on Christmas Day. He's probably going to take it easy on the kids. He doesn't. Mm. He doesn't. Mm. He doesn't. I'll not spoil it, but, you know, bring hankies because Russell does what Russell does, and he does it on a show for toddlers on Christmas Day, and it is it's heartbreaking, but it's also, that's down to, to Bernard as well. One of the things that... You know, strikes me about Bernard Cribbins is how much he acted with his hands. If you see, you know, that, that scene at the end of the end of time where he's saying goodbye to the doctor in the churchyard and he salutes and he just does that. You know, he covers his his, his mouth with his hand. You know, yeah, he does that. that was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, he does that in Old Jack's boat as well. And it's, it kind of takes me back to, you know, that anecdote of William Hartnell saying, you know, make sure your hands are in the screen. So, you make, you know, he always clutched his lapels because he knew he was on a mm. television screen and that way he would get his hands in the picture. And I think, you know, a lot of the time Bernard Cribbins does that as well. Um, you see him acting a lot with his hands, but he just bring, that just brings so much emotion. And you think this is a man who's known best for... Um, you know, his comedy work, you know, for singing comedy songs, like Right Said Fred, um, you know, and making people laugh, you know, silly voices on the Wombles, but, you know, give him, you know, give him a yard of grass, as they say, and he will run with it, and he will actually deliver in bucket loads. You know, I was absolutely horrified to find out that my other half had never heard the song Right Said Fred. He'd heard what? of the band, right, said Fred, but he didn't, well, he'd never heard the song. Strange. The band do take the name from that song, um, but that is, again, you, it, I can't sing it because I can't remember all the words in the right order. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, have a cup of tea, yes. But it's... Yeah. 
and that just, again just speaks to you know the vocal talent of the man going back to to buzzcocks they do the next line um mm. around in that where you know the presenter reads out the one the line the the panelist has to complete it and obviously david Tennant reads out right said fred and bernard cribbins without any hesitation just mm-hmm. rattles off the next three lines and you think you know, I can't even do that now and I've just listened to it before we start the recording. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, and his music career was produced by George Martin. Yes. Who wow. went on to produce the Beatles. And then he, um, they did an album together, I think in the late 60s, and he covers When I'm 64, not long after the Beatles have done it. And he's absolutely perfect. He brings... I think because he's slightly older than Paul McCartney, obviously, um, he brings a little bit more life experience to to this song and poignancy and and everything. It's it's really great. And he he was there. I remember in his autobiography him saying, "I can't sing this. This is such a famous song. This is what can I? I can't bring anything to this." And George Wilde was there saying, "No, you can bring Bernard Cribbins to this." And he did. I mean, there's 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 so many anecdotes about him, though, isn't there? Mm. Um, you know, I, lo- I love the one about the Voyage of the Damned where he just turned up with a bag of props. You know, <laughs> just in case. Yes, with his rubber rubber, rubber chicken. chicken <laughs> that he, you know, had this one this one role which must have been just a day's worth of filming, if that. And you know, he was going to be in this kiosk, and he rocks up with a bag, and in the bag's a bag load of props just in case the need that's just that's just fantastic that that's professional that's mm. a man who knows his job i wonder uh, if he'd have brought along a bag of props if he had uh, passed the audition and become the fourth doctor who well who knows and that's one of the the great what ifs isn't it i mean there were mm. so many people who were almost cast as the fourth doctor but when you found out it was Bernard Cribbins and they turned down Bernard Cribbins, it's it doesn't it doesn't quite compute, does it? That you you would want Bernard Cribbins to be in your show, wouldn't you? But I think it was Barry Letts who said he it was almost like he didn't quite get the character at that point, and he said, "Oh yeah," he said, oh, "I'm I'm quite handy in a fight, and I'm quite good with my my fists, and I can throw a punch." And just this slight misunderstanding of what the character would be. Because mm, John Pertwee's Doctor had been a man of action, so he thought it would be more of that kind of thing, perhaps. But, uh, yeah. Um, for me, I'm, I mean, I love Tom Baker with all of my heart, and so I'm glad that the world gave us Tom Baker's Doctor rather than Bernard Cribbins's Doctor. But, uh, yeah, and yes. that's it. It's always a tough one, isn't it, when you say, you know, oh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and, you know, GNT should have left here, and blah, 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 because you change then the things that you love about the show, and like you say, mm. we wouldn't part with Tom Baker for, you know, anything. Absolutely but, not. You know, I'm, I'm learning this for the first time this evening, that <laughs> Crippen's got knocked back to the that's, that's mad. <laughs> but you then think, you know, what about Tom Baker's doctor with Bernard Cribbins, Harry Sullivan? Mm. Now, that could have worked, couldn't it? Bit of a bromance, perhaps. It would have been, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, that would have been... There might have been a bit of a fight 
keep it, keeping who everyone happy <laughs> and who yeah. do you focus on and yeah i think scene stealing and stuff i think it might have been um sarah jane smith who took the took the bus back to unit hq and zygons not harry, <laughs> harry sullivan if that was the case well yeah that would have been a, that would have been dynamite wouldn't it well there's just another big what if isn't it so who knows but then you think, would he have stayed seven years? No, would he have? Would he have wanted to be off doing other things? Would he? Yeah, he probably would have done. There probably would have been sitcoms with his name on it, or he'd have wanted to go and do more theatre or something like that. I mean, yeah, he might not have been free for all those Jack and Orries. No, mm. no. you know. So it's all that that what if something has to something has to give. Yeah. Because, you know, he had a, a very good turn in Faulty Towers as well, didn't he? Um, in the hotel. He certainly did. <laughs> had a house. He just wanted his sausage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, you know, he's playing this character who is just word salad, isn't it? He's just, you know, using five words to say it with one. You know, it's, it's, you know, sort of like Boris Johnson, you know, but, you know, that, that way of, of trying to sound clever by using big long words and mm-hmm. pompous and you know that sort of that sort of character. But he he never again never misses a beat, just lands every line perfectly. You know, he has the big punch up with John Cleese at the end, which he's just <laughs> you know going Yeah, for. and there, there aren't many actors who held their own against John Cleese no. at that point in John Cleese's career. And yet Bernard Cribbins really does. He's up to the job. Yes. Mm. And you know, again, you can just you can just see it as one of these sort of like, you know, occasions where, oh well, we'll hire such and such, blah, blah, blah. And Bernard Cribbins. Um it's it's like Queen at Live Aid, you know, Queen walk on the stage mm. at Live Aid, belt out a set and walk off, and you know, everyone's just left astounded. You know, Bernard Cribbins has probably just done the same thing, walked onto the set. You know, nailed it, knocked it, knocked everyone out with his performance, walked off again and and left them just stunned. But he always seemed so assuming, unassuming about it all, though. You know, it's just he's turning up, he's doing a job, he's getting it right, he's being an absolute professional and a good colleague as well. And it's just yeah. what he does, you know. He didn't seem yeah, it's to expect a- Fanfares and accolades, although mm-hmm. of course he got BAFTAs and uh, mm-hmm. was it an MBE or a CBE or one of them? Yes, he wasn't. <laughs> Lord, he, he wasn't Lord Cribbins by the end, or no. Sir, mm-hmm. Sir Bernard Cribbins, but uh... but yeah, I mean that Forty Towers episode—that's a, probably a week's work at most, isn't it? Yeah, you know it's. It's half an hour of TV, but absolutely memorable. And again, we're here sort of nearly 50 years on since he did that and still talking about it. And people still remember that and see that all the time. It's, yeah, it's great. And of course, around the same time, he appeared at, well, he didn't appear. He did did a wonderful and memorable voiceover as Brian the Brain in an episode of Space 1999. And Brian the Brain was a big, clunky, square robot 
with <laughs> Bernard Cribbins' voice, oh, who turns out to be an evil robot. <laughs> no. And yes. Not and evil Bernard, Bernard Cribbins gets to play gets to play the villain in voiceover. <laughs> and because and again, this is this is a really great piece of casting because it's a really awful robot. Have, we'll have to find some photos to share because it's dreadful. But because it's got Bernard Cribbins' voice, you just like it straight away. And then when he turns bad, you're just amazed because you're not expecting any of that to come. It's really, really great casting. Well, I know what I'm going to try and find to watch as soon as we finish this recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian the Brain is the episode. Brian the Brain, my word. Mm-hmm. I thought that. Oh no, I'm going there. No, you can't. I've blown your mind now, Fraser. Mm. <laughs> and in the late seventies, he also appeared, and in an episode of Wurzel Gummidge with um, with John Pertwee and Una Stubbs um, as Jolly Jack, mm. who was um, a wooden mascot who was placed outside a fish and chip shop. <laughs> And obviously, uh, there's lots of shenanigans with fish and chips and lots of guzzling of chips between him and John Pertwee and eventually Aunt Sally as well. And a lot of fluttering wooden eyelids between Aunt Sally and um, Jolly Jack, who obviously she falls for straight away because it's Bernard Cribbins in a gold curly wig. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty spectacular. And he's he's brilliant because of course it's sort of mostly played for comedy and he's playing against um Patrick Newell who was mother in the Avengers as well in that episode. And it's just yeah, it's just a really really good fun episode like most episodes of the original Wars of Gummage. It's just lovely and you're just watching for the guest stars who are coming in and having the time of their lives again. For and again, it's probably another week's work, all on location. The sun's shining. He's getting fed chips. He's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's my ideal job right yeah. there. You mm-hmm. know? There's, there's a definite nautical theme as well, isn't there? About him. There is. Yes. Because mm-hmm. he, he wasn't in the navy, though, was he? He was in. He was in. He was a paratrooper, paratrooper wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, and you can you can tell. There's one of the really things that I really love about about Bernard is he salutes right. He salutes with the palm of his hand facing outwards from his face, as opposed to um, having his hand sort of like perpendicular to his forehead yeah. with his palm pointing down. It's the good old British way of saluting. Yeah. Proper training yes. and never forgotten. Yes. And of course, that was something that um, Russell T. Davis used, wasn't it, in yeah. The End of Time? Yeah, yeah. Keep coming back to the end of time, but I, I really think it is his his strongest performance in in Doctor Who. Um, I just, I think the whole episode just you know hinges on on Wilf. Mm. Um, when you know, he's begging the Doctor to try and fix yeah. Donna and bring her back oh, because she yeah. was so much better when she was travelling with him. And... Yeah. And that that whole scene in the cafe, um, you know, is is the best thing about part one. You know, from start to finish, the way that he's, you know, comforting the doctor when the doctor's upset, and 
you know, the doctor's comfort him when he gets upset, it's it's it really yeah. comes across as like two equals more than more than anything yeah. else. And I, I, that's the the dynamic that I like between them. And then you go into part two and you know, the the bit where, you know, Wilf is the one that knocks four times. Um that's just that, you know, me took your stomach away, didn't it? When when yeah. at the time mm-hmm. I know Sarah, you're not a big fan of this of that particular part of the regeneration, are you? Well, I I don't know. It, for me, I think, and lots of people will disagree, it, it sort of crosses the boundary between the story, I think, and what's going on sort of behind the scenes. So it always feels like it's Russell T. Davis and David Tennant who don't want to go mm. and are mm. railing against leaving the show rather than the doctor necessarily. I mean, that's just a personal opinion. And to be honest I'm with you, wrong. to be honest with you, I think you're probably fine. Just as many people that would agree with you as, as disagree. Mm-hmm. Personally, I I love that scene. I think you know it is. It's Russell pushing us into a place where we've never been before, and you know the very Russell thing to do is to you know make it uncomfortable for you and make you you know have emotions you don't particularly want to have and, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Denise, what do you, what's your thoughts on? On that. Um, I mean, for those two, for the end of time, those two stories, um, I'm always blown away by the acting in um, in that. I mean, it's not just uh, Bernard Cribbins, but also John Sims' performance is also absolutely incredible. And I'm thinking, well, you know, David Tennant is actually almost a little bit on the back foot because there's these <laughs> yeah. two other very, very masterful male actors in his sphere here. And, um, I mean, I think obviously he, he ups his game to play against Bernard Cribbins because, of course, you would, wouldn't you? You're, yeah. you're with the master, <laughs> the master <laughs> of that kind of role. But you know what I mean. It's um... But what I like is you, you don't get that sense of them going toe-to-toe. You know, you don't get the sense of, like, they're trying to, outdo each other as you you might kind of pick up in like the three or the five doctors with Mr Pertwee what you get is just two very generous actors giving each other you know the the time and space and opportunity to do what they're going to do best and you know I think one of the reasons I I do like that ending I do like you know those those scenes um in the the radiation glass between Wilf and the doctor is because it wouldn't work with anybody else it wouldn't work. That's true. You know, yeah. with, with Rose and the Doctor or Martha or Donna and the Doctor or anyone else. It has to be um you know. He'd Wilf. Have left Adric in there, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> anyone else, anyone else, you're gonna get those sort of comments of, oh well, I should have just left Rose in there and saved us blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, but you know, everybody, every single person in the world is going to be, you know, rooting for Wilf at this point and everybody is going to see that as a absolute Kobayashi Maru scenario when no one's going to win um, and that's where it comes from and it has to be you know Bernard then Bernard in there because only he can really give give that depth and that that emotion to that scene and it's just genius isn't it actually coming up and for Russell to think 
Well, who could be the companion? Well, of course it's going to be Bernard yeah. Cribbins. Of course. And it seems so obvious. But it wasn't obvious through the writing process. When yeah. he was coming up with the ideas, it wasn't sort of one of the earliest ideas that he'd had. But it's so right. It is. And it's, again, it kid speaks to kind of like he knows what he's got now. He knows... Um, the talent that he's got, he knows what Bernard Cribbins is, is capable of. Um, you know, there's a, a passage in his tribute, you know, where he talks about his eyes, and there's sort of like the sadness and the darkness in his eyes that makes the twinkle brighter. And you don't get the twinkle without the darkness there. And he really sort yeah. of plays into that. And he was so clever in, you know, bringing Bernard Cribbins' own experiences of war and you know never killed a man don't say that's a bad like that's a bad thing you know bringing that front and center and because bernard's put a lot of himself into wilf and that's that's obvious from the start you kind of rewind back a bit from end of time you know stolen earth journey's end you know bernard cribbins is is on the photo russell saying oh russell what if i shoot a dalek with a with a paintball in the eye (laughs) you know (laughs) You come in to turn left, and you've got that scene with. Um, oh, turn left! What the a Italian story. family. Every, yeah, again, everyone is giving their their best in turn left, but it's yeah. Bernard, isn't it? it it's is. that moment where he says, "It's happening again. Happen We're again. letting it happen yeah. again." And but you know, it it is a story. It's a story about Donna, and it's a story about Donna and Rose. But then every scene that Bernard's in is as is a scene about Bernard. You know, the scene where they're saying goodbye to the Italian family, where they're having the sing song, you know, and Donna's storming in because they're singing and, and Bernard, you know, Wilf's just kind of like sitting having a drink with him and leading the singing and mm-hmm. that look in his face. And you've got the, um, you know, where he's got the, the two sets of, of antlers on his head going off for Christmas. Um, mm. You know, every scene just becomes, you know, you, you can't take your eyes off of off of Bernard Cribbins. No, and it's, it's, I, all those those things are earned all the way through series four. So every time he appears, it's it's a really good thing. And I love the relationship between him and Donna, which is just beautiful and a real proper grandparent, yeah. elderly grandparent with with um with an adult grandchild. Who which is, is still a, a really little bit wayward and not quite settled in yeah. life and, and I love the fact that both of them are quite naughty and mm. the sensible adult is the mum in the middle, Sylvia, who just despairs of both of them. <laughs> she despairs of her father who's acting like a child all the time and she despairs of Donna because she's wasting her life and she's not going to amount to anything. And it's a beautiful piece of family sort of uh, relationships uh, written there by Russell. It's absolutely spot on. And it's brilliant, and but they all bring out something in each other. And there's the brilliant bit in one of the episodes where Wilf is comforting Sylvia when she's worried about something, and of course because he's her dad, and that's what you do, and you forget because she's treated him so badly almost all the way mm. through the ser- the series, and yet when it comes to it, there's this really close bond. It's beautiful writing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you go back as far as sort of partners in crime where, you know, you know, Bernard is coming in as as Will for the first time and you have the scenes um up in the allotment with the 
um, you know, the telescope and she's talking about, you know, mm. look for the blue box and, you know, you, again, Russell doesn't forget, even the man can do comedy, so you have the whole thing where he's got the massive spaceship going behind him. <laughs> he's looking the other, looking way. The other way. Um, but then obviously, you know, the, the joy of, of actually seeing Donna in the TARDIS. And the dance. The dance, The yeah. dance is magnificent. Yeah. yeah. I have to be, I'm sure Ben Cribbins was just coming up with that on the hoof at that moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, he, he could do that, couldn't he? Just sort of the mad activities. I think he gets a few occasions to do that in... Um, Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 and a little bit of it in um, The Railway Children as well. Just ad-libbed, mental five minutes, shouting, yelling, waving his arms and dancing or whatever the emotion is (laughs) demands. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I always think of him when I think of him. I always think he has that way of just having a little ha-ha-ha sort of laugh mm. that he does. And he does it in multiple roles. He does it sort of across his career. And it's one of those little warm things when you hear it. You hear it at the end of Dalek's Invasion Earth um, when he says, I'm Detective Inspector Tom Campbell, OBE, and he just does the little laugh there. And I think he does it as Wilf at one point as well. And it's just that nice little bit of continuity that bringing Bernard Cribbins into your into whichever part he's playing. And there's that marvellous scene as well, isn't it? And I think at the start of the Sontaran story where Donna comes home and he spots her while he's washing the car oh, yes. and he's just, they're both running towards each other and it's just, yeah, it's a Bernard Cribbins hug. Of course you'd be running towards <laughs> that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it is just that, you know, like you said, say that, you know, daughter, um, granddaughter, grandfather relationship because... You know, as as a parent, you know, you have to be strict. You have to have boundaries. You have to enforce rules and uh, whatnot with your kids. And then uh, when you become a grandparent, that goes out the window. We've seen it with our um, our children, with their their grandparents, the things that my mother-in-law lets my, my two sons get away with and buys them for Christmas. Never would have <laughs> happened with my wife, put it that way. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's lovely that that is their front and centre that these are the two mischievous kids because that's exactly how grandparents are they don't have to be parents that can just enjoy everything give the kid back at the end of the day and the fact that that's carried on into into child um, adulthood for Donna to have that relationship with her grandfather is is again a wonderful piece of writing but it's also a wonderful bit of acting by Bernard definitely I mean I I was lucky enough to have a 40 year relationship with my grandma. So, cause my, my parents were young. So I understand that completely. We, we were the same sort of towards the end when we'd go off on adventures together and, and go and, and do things together. It was, yeah, it was a lovely thing. And it's lovely to see that on the screen because you don't often see, you see children with grandparents, but you don't often mm-hmm. see yeah. an adult with a grandparent. And that's, that's, Again, that's a lovely thing. And again, we all would wish that Bernard Cribbins was our granddad. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I ran out of grandparents by before I was out of my 20s, but uh, get very fond memories of the ones that were still alive by the time I was born. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's um, it's a beautiful thing to see. 
And I think that's that's another thing to say about Bernard Cribbins is, you know, whoever you talk to, um, you know, Russell mentions it, coming back to this Doctor Who tribute as well. Again, um, his agent, I think, is the one that's on Twitter, um, who shares a lot of, or did share a lot of stuff about his life, was, you know, how much he loved his wife, Jill. Yes. You know, always gets mentioned, always gets mentioned, Um in anecdotes, you know, he was always on the phone to his wife. You know, he loved his wife so much. And, you know, we'll go back to the names we mentioned at the start, the likes of Roy Castle and, you know, your Bruce Forsyth, who are gentlemen as well as entertainers, who, you know, you're not going to find any sort of skeletons in the closet. Mm. You know, that sort of thing. And I think that's, you know, speaks for Bernard as well, just a family man. A, a real family man. Yes, definitely. And of course, the lovely thing is, as we know now, we've still got some Bernard Cribbins to look forward to. Yeah. Which sort of makes yes. his return to Doctor Who sort of even more poignant than it might have been. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be very bittersweet that, isn't it? Um you know, fantastic that we will get one last um, sight of him in that role, you know, in, in Doctor Who, but so, so sad that that will be the last. Yes. Yeah, I mean, what a almost brilliant timing to to have had the chance to do that and bring him back. And we don't know how, we don't know what's, what's going on with Russell T. Davis's new Doctor Who. We have very little idea what's to come, but we know we've got at least an episode, I guess, with Bernard Cribbins in it. And isn't that a wonderful thing to look forward to? Yeah. It really is, although obviously it's going to be very, very touching to watch. Um, yeah, I'm <laughs> getting upset just thinking about yes, uh, how I'm going to feel when it's on my mm-hmm. screen. And, uh, yeah, I mean, but I'm... I think maybe enough time will have passed by then for it to feel like a triumphant end to his career, hopefully, yeah. and uh, just a great thing to uh, to have this sort of coming. That's what I hope, but I'll probably be in tears because I know what I'm like. Yes. I mean, the episode is certain to be dedicated to him and there's going to be of course. tributes and yeah. all the rest of it that time of year as well. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to brace ourselves. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yes, I mean, it's sometimes you get a bit sort of emotionally like people are trying to bombard your emotions with fictional characters. So feeling something for somebody real who, although you never met them, you really, they meant something to you because of the contribution they made to your life when you were growing up and well into adulthood, you know, that's... Uh, more important than a soap character or uh, how they try to manipulate you with that kind of thing. Yeah, But it's true, isn't it? I mean, we've had such a run these last few years and particularly very recently of losing big, big actors, people who have been a part of our lives for a very long time that you have this this affection for that you can't really explain because they've just always been there 
And it's a, it's a weird one, isn't it, to sort of try and, and work out because you can't explain it rationally because you don't know the person, but you feel like you know them and you feel mm-hmm. because you they've been a part of your life in a peripheral way that there's just that that affection for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it gets to the point where you sort of open the news or you open Twitter with a bit of trepidation every day just in case someone else who's important has gone but you know I'm always reminded of a conversation that I had with my mum when um, Nelson Mandela was very ill and she just said we can't keep him forever and uh, she's right you know we can't live forever if your body says no if your body gives up we've got to let people go yeah yeah and the thing is I he had a marvellous career he had a very long life. He did. He's 93 yeah. and still going and still acting and still sort of using his voice. Because um, I think sort of Fraser alluded to his um, his agent or, or very good friend talking about um, him on Twitter and saying only sort of at the start of the year saying, why, um, Bernard sort of saying, why haven't I recorded an audio version of my autobiography? Everyone would want to hear that. And mm. they would. And so, well, yes, of course we would. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. I think there was there was a lovely thing that um, the guy did for Bernard's birthday or yes. his last birthday, where he um, asked people to just put a message on Twitter that he would print out and put in a card and he was overwhelmed. I that, by, yeah, mm-hmm. I did one as well. Yeah. I think that there was near on a thousand or something like that. Mm-hmm. Certainly a really high number and far more than was expected. And it turned out to be a book rather than a card <laughs> because everyone had a message for Bernard. Yes, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about Twitter. You know, you can... A few years ago, I remember thinking, yeah, isn't that great? I've just wished Leonard Nimoy a happy birthday. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like unimaginable sort of 20 years ago, but there you are. Yeah, there are good things to social media. There, are. <laughs> there, there really are, are. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, coming back to that idea of, you know, this is someone that we didn't know, but we felt that we knew, you know, that, that comes right back to, to Jack and Ori. That comes right back to... You know, having someone in your house reading to you. You know, that's mm. that's what yeah. I do with my my son every night is is read one before bed. You know, and you're inviting someone. You invite Jack and all. You're inviting someone in to your house to read a story to you and your children. Joel Jack's boat is exactly the same. You're inviting them in, and you're sitting down and you're watching it together and enjoying. You know, stories being read out aloud. So it's it's no surprise that we feel. You know, a loss of Bernard Cribbins yes. through that is because he's essentially made himself part of our family by doing that. Mm. Yeah, and it was brilliant what they decided was that the reader would read right to the camera. Yeah. So that you're looking at the child in their right in their eyes and right in their face and looking at them and not looking slightly away. You're reading to that one person. Mm. He always said that, that it was like reading... How how do you start the first one? Well, you're reading to a child, and the child 
you can't see them, but they're the camera, and that's mm. the relationship you've got. And so you're going to want to make them laugh. You're going to want to look them in the eye while you're reading this. And, and this is something sort of through my my career as a librarian, suddenly in the days when I was in public libraries, that was just the best part of my job was reading to, to kids and getting that reaction and being there sort of in front of them and hearing them laugh with you and get involved and get scared and, and excited and all of that. And that all sort of comes from though my early days listening to Jack and Ori, hearing these stories, hearing Bernard Cribbins and all the others sort of reading to you each week. It was just a part of life and it sort of carries on. Yeah. And I was lucky my mum read to me all the way through my childhood. So that was that was a great thing. But not every child had parents yeah. who did that. So just to have that 15 minutes or whatever each day where someone did read to you and someone as brilliant as Bernard Cribbins at bringing a story alive reading to you and that's what a brilliant piece of tv that's what tv should be for I was very lucky that I had a primary school teacher called Mr Harris and he read us everything you know he read us um the hobbit he read us the lion the witch in the wardrobe the talking parcel all of these amazing books and he was so good at it and i think you know we were sort of seven eight years old and he just absolutely had us captured by just reading these books it was very lucky to have that i mean by that think as soon as I could read I was reading voraciously and I certainly didn't want my parents to read to me anymore but uh, you know when uh, he's just holding a whole classroom in the palm of his hand with these amazing stories that he'd found and chosen for us and that's the thing I don't think Bernard's voice will ever be forgotten I think there are now so many recordings of him reading books that they will carry on through the generations because each generation will discover him and then pass it on to their children. And this is the voice of the Wombles. This is the voice of all these books of Mortimer and Arabella and all these stories that won't... I don't think he'll be forgotten for a very, very long time. No, I'm still certainly expecting CBeebies to be showing all Jack Sport every Christmas. They'll be... It's a tradition now, isn't it? There'll be ructions. There'll be riots in the streets. Yep. <laughs> and all those children who've grown up with that will never forget that yeah. and will become part of their traditions that they watched it as a child and off it goes and the next yeah. lot watch it. And they'll see him in something else and they'll recognise his voice and put it all together. And Exactly. And as many people have commented sort of down the years that once you've been in Doctor Who, you're immortal. <laughs> <laughs> You're never forgotten because there will always be Doctor Who fans and there will always be new fans discovering the show and discovering episodes that were on before they were born and discovering all these actors that we've grown up loving at our various ages and still coming back and finding them, you know, and it will, will carry on. People will find those episodes with Wilf and fall in love with him the way that we did without having maybe that thing that we've all got of it's Bernard Cribbins, he's he's a national treasure, he's he's this, this and this. But they'll come to him and find the warmth in his performance and fall in love with him the same way 
we yes, fell in love yeah. with Bernard Cribbins in other things before he was in Doctor Who. Everybody would have wanted a Wilf in their life. Everybody wanted a Bernard Cribbins in their mm. life. And we were lucky to have one for all of that time. I think that, that's exactly it. You know, it's, it's, what, 12 years now since the end of time? You know, there's, there's a whole new generation of fans who are going to watch that episode in whichever form it comes, 60th Christmas special, whatever, you know, in whatever format it comes, who are going to discover Wilf for the first time and discover Bernard Cribbins for the first time. So that's, that's magic, that. And I think that's the perfect ending. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> so, that's Bernard Cribbins. Yes. I don't know what else we can say, but he won't be forgotten. Yes. Definitely not. Thank you, Mr. Cribbins, sir. Yes. I think that's that's the Absolutely. only thing left to say. There really is, is thank you. You know, thank you for, you know, the memories over all the years, um, you know, the joy the the tears that are going to come um just thank you for being wonderful there's a man who really was loved and no one had a bad word to say about him and that's that's the mark of a legend that's someone who will live on thanks bernard so i hope we've done him justice Thank you very much for listening. Um, There'll be more from Trap One very soon. We'll be taking a look at some more of the Target books coming up, I believe. I think myself and Fraser are down for a bit of David Fisher love over the next next couple of months, I believe. Sounds good. Yep, I think I'm down for Stones of Blood and you are for Tara? The Androids of Tara. Yes. Which will be fun and me and Denise will be back together at the end of the year for another another set of annual stories, I oh. believe. Oh, yes, it wouldn't be Christmas without a Doctor Who annual. So no, exactly. So we to that. Yeah, but I'm sure we'll be hearing from you before then, Denise. <laughs> well, I hope so. Well, I think I'm doing another um, one with New York Jason soon on, uh, about the state of decay, so I'll be dipping oh, into the markets as well. And... Um, who knows? Who knows? Exactly. So where can we find you both? Well, I am at Cup of Tea 69 on Twitter, which is mainly where I live, but there's also a link to my blog in my biography. Uh, when I'm not, you know, wombling around Wimbledon Common, you will find me on Twitter as at Felix Fraser, um, full of opinions on Everything related to Doctor Who. Um, Usually wrong. <laughs> not rising to the bait tonight, Mr. Hart. <laughs> uh, you'll also hear me on um, Hamster with a Blood Pen Knife, as well as Trap One and the odd uh, Gallifrey is Most Wanted as well. Yeah, and you'll find me on Twitter as at Cy underscore Hart. And again, I share a range of lovely opinions that are usually right, but I can say that. <laughs> and many episodes of A Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife and many Trap Ones and recently the Exton Moss Experiment and um, Doctor Who Literature, which has been great. I've been really enjoying appearing on those. 
And we will be back with Maximum Power soon, the Blake 7 podcast, really. And we are just in the middle of arranging a very, very special guest who's coming to do an episode with us. And there'll be more information about that very soon. And we're very, very excited to be welcoming him to come and chat with us. So, yes. And, of course, you can find all the episodes of Trap One on um, Podbean and all your podcatchers of choice. And you'll find us on Twitter as at TrapOne underscore. So thank you very much for listening and good night. Good night. Right, set for... <laughs> Got bad twinges taking off the inches. We was getting nowhere. nowhere. And so we had a cup of tea. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.